Good morning, all. Thank you, worship team. What a wonderful time of worship you all led us into. We thank you for that. Good to see you all here this morning. We're wrapping up our series here. If you're up on Facebook, you saw some of the things on, on that line. But we're going to take a look at one, one other aspect here. And, of course, when uh, Brother Fred Price did our orientation in Rainbow, he did a series called Faith, Foolishness, or Presumption. And we did a number of things in the area of presumption. But I want to take a, a look at this area of foolishness. Because some of the things that we as Christians have done in the area of prayer have been a bit foolish. And we've got to be able to discern between what is right and what is good and what is foolish. There are some uh, warning labels that have made their way onto some products. And I think you can kind of understand the behavior that was involved to bring these out. One was a label on a snow sled, and it said this, Beware, sled may develop high speed under certain snow conditions. There's a warning sign on a fishing lure. It read this way, harmful if swallowed. Make sure you tell people those kind of things. There was a warning on an electric router made for carpenters. I am not sure why this was ever put on, but this is the warning label. This product not intended for use as a dental drill. <laughs> In case anybody was thinking about going out there and doing that. Here's a warning label that was found on a baby stroller. It cautions the users to remove child before folding. There's a container of underarm deodorant that said, do not spray in eyes. A cartridge for a laser printer warns, do not eat toner. And a cardboard car shield, you know those sun shields you put in your car to keep the sun out? It has this warning label on it, do not drive with sun shield in place. Now you hear some of these things and you have to wonder, did somebody really try and do that? And obviously somebody must have tried to do that. Otherwise the lawyers wouldn't have said, put these labels on here. Now we can look at behavior like that and determine that's foolish. That is definite foolishness. But sometimes some of the things we have done in prayer and some of the things we have done for the kingdom of God are just as foolish but Christians keep on doing them. So we're going to take a look at a, a story here today that will help us understand that. Last week we were looking at David and the death of his son. We looked at Peter and the fish with the coin in his mouth. And we saw some of the things in this area of presumption. That just because it worked for somebody else does not mean that you were to do it without a word from God to do it. We put this in your... In your outline last week, don't hope for something the Word does not promise. Find out what the Word promises you and hope for that. Don't go hoping for stuff that's, that's not out there. Now, I put these things in there because I was uh, contemplating. We've talked mostly about presumption. And I was contemplating these two words and the differences between it. And so I put this in your outline for you. Assumption is a conclusion based on nothing. 
I just meditated on this. Uh, this thing can come out of any dictionary like that. You might find a even better one in a dictionary. But assumptions, it's a conclusion based on nothing, nothing at all. I have no basis for drawing the conclusion, but I drew the, I drew the conclusion. That's an assumption. A, a presumption is conclusions based on what happened for others. Well, this happened for them. I think it'll happen for me. Since Peter caught fish and found money in the mouth, I'm going to go out and catch fish and catch some money in the mouth too. That's presumption. But assumptions, we don't even need to, to have any. We don't even need to see it happen to anybody. We just think, well, I think that God ought to do this for me. And we make the assumption that this is the way we ought to go. Don't make assumptions. Don't make presumptions. Go after what the Word of God tells you. We got our hands full going after what the Word of God tells us. Let's see, the enemy wants to try and get you to go after something different. Because if you go after what the Word of God has not promised you, then your faith will be endangered. You'll get discouraged. I pulled a verse from a book you probably all were just reading this week. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 12. How many people, people are reading Ecclesiastes this week? Raise your hand up. So I thought. Not a book we go to all that often, is it? Not the most comforting of books. We're going to look at it a little bit here though today. Then I began to think again about about being wise and also about being foolish and doing crazy things. He's just going around pondering about being wise or being foolish. Of course, foolish people do crazy things. But after all, what more can anyone do? He can't do more than what the other kings has already done. Now that's a verse that's there, but I wanted, I wanted you to see the whole context of this. And so I, I pulled this out of the New Century Version. And it reads this way, starting with verse 10. If you follow along in the New King James, you can see some of the differences, but it's just a little bit easier to understand this way. Anything I saw and wanted, I got for myself. I did not miss any pleasure I desired. I was pleased with everything I did. And this pleasure was the reward for all my hard work. But then I looked at what I had done. And I thought about all the hard work. And suddenly I realized it was useless. Like chasing the wind. There is nothing to gain from anything we do here on earth. Hmm. There is nothing to gain from anything we do here on earth. Now understand, this is Ecclesiastes. This is a person writing this book who kind of fell from the place where they were, were at. Then I began to think again about being wise and also about being foolish and doing crazy things. But after all, what more can anyone do? He can't do more than what the other king has already done because he is a king. I saw that being wise is certainly better than being foolish, just as light is better than darkness. Wise people see where they are going, but fools walk around in the dark. Yet I saw that both wise and foolish people end the same way. I thought to myself, what happens to a fool will happen to me. So what is the reward for being wise? I said to myself, being wise is also useless. The wise person and the fool will both die and no one will remember either one for long. In the future, both will be forgotten. So I hated life. It made me sad to think that everything here on earth is useless like chasing the wind. I hated all the things I had worked 
for here on earth because I must leave them to someone who will live after me. Someone else will control everything for which I worked so hard here on the earth. And I don't know if he will be wise or foolish. This is also useless. So I became sad about all the hard work I had done here on earth. People can work hard using all their wisdom, knowledge, and skill, but they will die. And other people will get the things for which they worked. They did not do the work, but they will get everything. This is also unfair and useless. What do people get for all their work and struggling here on the earth? All of their lives, their work is full of pain and sorrow. And even at, the, at night, their minds don't rest. This is also useless. The best that, that people can do is eat, drink, and enjoy their work. I saw that even this comes from God because no one can eat or enjoy life without Him. If people please God, God will give them wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But sinners will get only the work of gathering and storing wealth that they will have to give to the ones who please God. <laughs> That's interesting, huh? So all their work is useless, like chasing the wind. Now this whole thing set the context for a verse of scripture that most people know from Ecclesiastes. Because the very next verse in chapter 3 and verse 1 reads this way. There is a time for everything. And everything on earth has its special reason. A time to live, a time to die. All those things come after. This is what he said. He got all this because he was pondering the wise and the foolish. His way of thinking of this was, when I die, everything that I've accumulated because of the wisdom that I have will go to someone else. And they may or may not walk in wisdom. And they may take all the things that I have put together and deal very foolishly with them. And what good is that? What a good is it for me to uh, put all this wealth together just to when I die, I can't take it with me and it's left to someone else. But towards the end, he got the idea and says, you know what? It is God that allows us to have, enjoy the fruit of our labors. It is God that brings that to us. And even what the heathen have done, even what the foolish have done, will come to those who trust God, who believe in God. Now we can think, we have another aspect or another way to think about these verses of Scripture. To Solomon, what he had did not lose, leave his control until he died. And he wrote about it in that way. But how many of you know that all that we have, we lose control of? Some of it. For some of us, one-third of everything that we earn goes to the government. And they take control over it. And we have enough social programs going on now that the money that you worked hard for through wisdom and understanding and the knowledge that God has given you is taken from you and given to someone who may be wise or may be foolish. And you have no control over that. And we can get discouraged. How many times have you heard people discouraged from going out there and making a living for themselves because they realize that other people are not going to work at all 
and they're doing just fine. <laughs> you can get discouraged of that. All right, that's the context of what he's writing here in Ecclesiastes. That all those things that you worked hard for are taken and given to someone else. You work all this time in the wisdom of God and what you achieved in wisdom can be taken over by one who is foolish. So we want to compare this part here of those that are wise and those that are foolish. Because in the area of prayer, we can, uh, we can go into prayer through wisdom or we can go into prayer with foolishness. We've got to make sure that we go into prayer with wisdom. So I want to read some of these scriptures. We're going to be in 1 Samuel. As I was looking this up, it looked like it had been at least two years since we've been in here looking at this story. But it will be a very familiar story to you. I'm sure you have even pondered this story outside of times we've gotten into it here in church. But in 1 Samuel 15, God is going to give King Saul an assignment. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. Over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Talaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Now look at, the, look at the commission that he was given. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. That's one time he says it. Utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them, but kill both man and and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now I want you to think about this. Where did these words come from? It came from God. Now if God were to give you, if you were King Saul and you had charge of an entire army and God told you, I want you to go over here to these people and I want you to wipe them out. I want you to attack them and I want you to wipe out everything that they have. I want you to destroy them. I want you to go in there and I want you to kill not just the men. I want you to kill the women. I want you to kill the young child. I want you to kill the sheep and the goats, the ox, all the livestock. I want everything that is breathing to be dead by your hands. And you go out there and you begin to execute this, and you come upon you. It's easy to kill the guys with the swords, because they're trying to kill you. They're easy, right? I mean, we don't have to think about that. He's trying to kill me. I kill him first. That's 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 how war goes on. But then after all that, now the the men are wiped out, and you come upon the 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 city, and there are women in there, and they didn't have swords. Now today we have uh, men and women in the armed forces. But they didn't have it then. It was the men who did the, the battle and the women who, who sent them off. And that's the, that's, doesn't matter if you think it's right or not, that's how they did it. And if you ever uh, seen anything from the Spartans, how many remember the Spartans, the Greeks and the Spartans? 
the wives had a way of sending those men off to war, which I thought was extraordinary. The wives, when they would, would prepare their husband to go off to war, they would hand him his armor. And as they handed him his, his shield, the wife would say, come back with your shield or come back on it. That's from your wife. In other words, don't retreat. Don't retreat. Don't come back here and say, I ran for my life and you don't have your shield anymore. I would prefer that you come back on it. That's a different mentality than we have, isn't it? <laughs> but that's what, that's what they would do. How many have ever heard that before about the, about the Spartans? Yeah, they, were, they were an unusual bunch. They, they were unusual. They were very, very much into having victory in their battles. But can you picture going in and wiping out all this? If this happened today, if God gave the order to a king or a leader today, and he said, go in and wipe them all out. I want you to wipe out the men. I want you to wipe out the women. I want you to wipe out the children. I want you to wipe out the livestock. I want you to take everything that is breathing, and I want it to be dead. What would the opinion of people be to the leader who did that? Now, I say all that for this. I want you to understand what Saul was up against. What Saul may have been experiencing. I don't know Saul personally. He was a little bit more ruthless than some of you were. <laughs> some, some of us are. But um, still, he, what, what was he experiencing? What was he feeling going out there? And here are, the, here are the women. And here are the children. And that's I don't know about you, but I think that's got to be pretty tough. To go up to a little two-year-old child and just slice their head off. Or kill them in some. I would think that'd be pretty difficult to do. But this is what God who said it. Now, before we go on, let's take a let's take a look at this. There's some some wisdom in the word I want you to see. In Proverbs chapter ten, in verse eight, the wise in heart will receive commands, but a pretty fool will fall. We need to receive commands, don't we? The wise will receive commands. The fool won't do it. Proverbs 2 and verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from, look at this, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Now, what's the difference between a prideful person and a humble person? Come on, you know. You, you have, how many of you have people at work, if you try and tell them something, explain to them how to do something right, 
Some people, thank you very much. Thank you for the help. I appreciate that. And they go off and they make the adjustment. How many of you have people at work? You go over there and you tell them, this is how you do that. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Which one was prideful? Which one was humble? The one who receives instruction, we look at as, as humble. So does God. The one who did not is the one who is prideful. Proverbs 12 and verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds the counsel, he who heeds counsel is wise. All right. So he's saying this. If you look at a way, you say, well, this is the right way and no one can tell you anything different, then you are a fool. Because your way is right in your eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. One more. Proverbs 13 and verse 10. By pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. I found this in another translation. I'm going to read it. It's real close to it, but just slightly, slightly different. When there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Where there is strife, there is pride. Whenever we bring strife into a situation, it is because of our pride that it came. When other other people bring in strife to a situation, it is because of pride. Now think back at work. Think back to maybe even this last week when a situation came up where there was strife. Can you narrow that down that the reason the strife came in was because one or two people were so bottled up in pride they wouldn't listen to anyone. They kept doing it their own way. That's where the strife came from. I want you to begin to think about this in family situations, in work situations, in neighborhood situations. Strife comes in because of pride. Not in church situations. We don't have, we don't have issues with pride in, in church. Just those other spots. When we were over visiting Christian, we had an episode that occurred on the beach. It was very unusual to see this episode occur on the beach. All the years I've been going to the beach, I can't say I ever saw an episode quite like this one. We were sitting there just minding our own business, just watching the waves and kind of sitting out there. We'd uh, done some hunting and done some looking around for some things and we were just kind of sitting there and All of a sudden, we heard the distinctive sounds of an argument. How many know what I mean? You know, you just hear it. Oh, that's an argument. Somebody is arguing about something. And not more than 15 yards to our side was a family arguing. And, you know, you don't try and, and eavesdrop, but they're 15 yards away. How much can you not hear on a beach? So we're, this is going on, and uh, and uh, it sounded like, you know, we were kind of putting together who's who. We had the mother-in-law over here, and we had the son-in-law over here, and phew. And so the, the mother-in-law was yelling at the son-in-law because apparently he wasn't watching the, the, his, his son in the water to the degree that the mother-in-law felt that she should. And he felt like he was watching just fine. Well, then all kinds of other stuff came out and we had an incident at the restaurant where she interfered with what he said the child should be eating. 
<laughs> and then she fired back, and then he fired back, and uh, and I mean this is going on. This is going on over a section where there's about four chairs facing the water and a couple of blankets. And eventually, the the girl, the and I don't know if that was his wife. We we couldn't figure that one out. I don't know if it's his wife, girlfriend, if the son was from a previous marriage, or if they had the son. I, I don't know what that was. But uh, we couldn't quite figure all that out. But anyway, they started yelling at each other and using words and language. And we're, we're trying the best we can. Just mind your own business. Look out at the water. And that pretty water. It's just so nice and peaceful out there in the water. <laughs> And they just keep going back and, and, uh, finally at the end, you know, he, he kept talking about she was threatening his job. We didn't know what his job was. I thought maybe she worked for, for the family. He worked for the family business and she threatened to fire, fire him. I don't know what was going on. But then as she's leaving, she said, and you're a cop. Christian had this to say. He turned on me and says, I didn't see that one coming. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming either. <laughs> How is she going to get him fired from being a cop? Just strife was coming in. You know why the strife was there? Because one person said, my way is right. And this other person said, my way is right. This person said, the way I'm looking at it is right. And this person said, the way I'm looking at it is right. And neither one of them would back down. And so eventually the mom the mother-in-law and the husband, they went off in another direction. And I guess they brought everybody down in their car because they said, you're going to be okay for getting back. I think they said that to the daughter. But then it looked like two other people went with them. and We don't know who all that was. Here was the really shocking thing. Really shocking thing. After that, uh, the, he and someone else left. and they, So the, everybody left. They went on the, on the home. You know what was still on the beach? No. I don't know where the child, we never saw the child. He must have been in there somewhere. What was still on the beach were the four chairs and the blankets that they were, they were around. I said, man, that is really weird. I stand this to Christian and said, that is really weird. I said, it's one thing to have an argument like that on the beach. It sure is a whole nother thing to have that argument on the beach around other people's stuff. That was just, that was weird. But that was a lot of strife that was brought in. And it was brought in because each one was in pride. And no one would receive instruction. If you asked me, did I get up and go over and try and settle it? I said, absolutely not. I am a wise person. I understood they're in strife. There's a whole lot of pride right there. No one really wants to hear what's what's going on. And I, I Christian and I were mentioning this to each other. He said, I said to him, I says, I said, well, I don't know who's right and wrong because I didn't get all the ins and outs. But I'll tell you what, mom-in-law has a lot of issues just from all the things that are being said. And he says, yeah, well, he does too. He says, oh, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> you could see issues from both sides. And uh, both people had to make some adjustments. No one was willing to. No one. Because of that, the strife continued. No idea what happened to them afterwards. Because we did not follow them. 
when they left the beach, we stayed there and enjoyed the calmness that had now been restored. See, some people are prepared for those kind of battles. They look forward to those kind of battles. Almost it seems like they live for those kind of battles because they're there to defend their pride. They're there to defend their way of of doing things. Saul here got an assignment from God. Thus says the Lord. And God had been trying to train Paul all through this, train him on how he was to handle taking God's assignments. And you all know the stories. You know with the sacrifice and the seven days. And he didn't do so well on that one, did he? That was just two chapters earlier in chapter 13. He didn't do so so good now. He missed out on the training. Probably some other training that wasn't in the Word of God. God was leading him through. He didn't do it. So what training has he put himself through? I put this in your outline for you. Prepared people perform. When you are prepared, you perform. If you have a test and you have studied, you perform better than if you had not studied. If you're an athlete and you have trained, you, pre- you perform better because of the preparation. Unprepared people explain. Prepared people perform. Unprepared people explain. And every single time, what do we have from Saul? An explanation. Because he's not prepared. Let's go on with this. Verse 5 in First Samuel. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Now, that's probably okay. God didn't tell him to, to weed anybody out, but he's supposed to go out to the Amalekites. And it sounds like he has prepared to execute what God said to do. It sounds like it. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling, unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Now, there's a whole lot in this. Everything that they despised and they saw as worthless, they destroyed. So that means that killing the women and the children wasn't a problem, was it? The reason killing the women and the children wasn't a problem was not because God commanded it. It was because they despised them. They saw them as worthless. The reason, when we went over, spent some time talking about going into a place and utterly destroying and killing all the women and children, the reason that would give most of us trouble is we would look at those little children and we would see value. 
And so it would be hard for us to, to go in there because we, we would look at it and see value. I don't know them, but I look at the young child, I, I see value. So, there's something important. We don't know what you're going to become, but there's, there's value there. But because they didn't see any value in the women and children, they had no problem executing that. But we come up to a sheep. Now imagine this. Little child, two years old, no problem slaying that little child and leaving it there bleeding and dead. But you come up to a sheep. Oh, look at the, look at the sheep. I think we need to save the sheep. I'm not, I'm not willing to kill the sheep. Oh, look at that oxen. I mean, that's such a cute oxen. I think we need to save this oxen. And so one person began it and then another person kept it up and another person continued it in some other places because you've got a lot, of, a lot of oxen, a lot of fatlings, a lot of lambs that all made it through. And the king, hmm, but everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Now, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, If God speaks a word, does God speak foolishness or does God speak wisdom? Remember back from the verses we read in Proverbs. That's just one book in Proverbs. There's other books too that talk about it. Just in the one book, Proverbs, we know that everything that God says is wisdom. Everything that, that God comes out of God's mouth is not foolish. So if I do whatever God says, I will act wise. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. So that everything that Jesus did was wise. And did not the people make mention of the wisdom in which he walked? The authority with which he walked? All right. We know that everything that God speaks is wisdom. So if God says to do a thing a certain way, that's the wise way. What would be the false way, the, the foolish way to do it? Anything that would differ from what God said to do would be less than the wisdom of God. If I did 90% of what God said to do, am I operating in 10% foolishness? <laughs> You're afraid to answer that one, aren't you? No, you're operating 100% foolishness. Because if it's not what God said, it's foolishness. If you just alter it a little bit. When the, when the enemy came to Adam and Eve in the garden, did he alter the command completely? He altered it some. We don't always have to alter everything 100% in order to operate foolishness. Anything that we can do to degrade the promise of God will turn what was once wisdom into foolish. So whatever God says, you do it. Remember the famous words of Mary at the wedding. Whatever he says to you, do it. So whatever Jesus says is not foolish. So if you want wine, filling up pots with water is not foolish because he said to do it. I put this in your outline for you. Partial obedience is caused by. 
And really, we deal more with partial obedience than we do with complete disobedience. The first off, one of the causes is ignorance. Ignorance is one of the causes of partial obedience. I didn't know. I'm ignorant of that. So ignorance is it. And uh, on the other side, of that, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I didn't do it because I don't know. Here's the second one. Neglect. Alright, I know what God said, but I'm not putting everything into doing what God said. Neglect. On the other side of that, I don't care. The reason I neglect something is because either I don't care about it or I care about other stuff more. How many of you ever had a plant or plants in your home that started off nice and green when you bought them? but turned into shriveled brown twigs. How many have ever had that happen at home? Go ahead and admit it. Yep. Why did it happen? Is it because you didn't know how to take care of the plant? No. I mean, plant's pretty simple. I need light. I need water. I need food. That's really it. Now, you got to know how much water. Some plants like more water than others. And what kind of food or how much food and how much light. you got to know some of those things. But once you figure it out, is it high, medium, or low light? Is it a lot of water, a little bit of water? You know, if you water a cactus the same way that you water a pothos, then uh, you're going to be in trouble. Can't do that. So you got to know what these what these things are. Neglect. I didn't. Um, I don't care. When you first brought that plant home, you cared a great deal about that plant. And you were watering it just like the instructions said. But then after a while, what happens? You get into some, you get into some trouble. You get into, you get into some problems. You know, you all know I, I like to keep a reef tank. And, um, reef tank is not as much maintenance as some people think that it is. But, what is required is required. I can't go up to the thing and say, I don't feel like filling it with water today. Every single day, I have to fill that tank with water. Every single day. I have to fill it with some water. I have to have water ready to be entered into the thing. If I don't, then the pump goes dry. If the pump goes dry, it's not running anymore. If the pump's not running, the filter dies, the fish die, it's not a good thing. Every single day, I have to add some things to the water. Every single day. Not quite every single day, but, it, but some things I should do a little bit more often than I do, is I have to test the water so I know what kind of things to add to the water. And then you have to feed them. Now fortunately, you know they can find some of their own food. Some days I just say, guys, you're fending for yourself today. I don't have time to feed you. And so, they, you know, they, I don't know if they understand me, but they got to go find their own algae and their own stuff to eat. I'm not feeding them today. I'm not going to be home, whatever it might be, because you have to feed them at a certain time when the lights are on and they, they can see the food. Otherwise, you're going to be a big problem. Now, that's just a few of the things. There's other stuff that you have to do as well, and you have to keep up with it. You have to, you have to stay with it. 
You can't wake up in the morning and just say, I don't feel like dealing with the tank. You've got to deal with it. In fact, it's so important that I actually have to hire somebody who knows what they're doing to come in whenever we go away. Every single day, somebody has to come in. Add the water, add the additives, put the food in, check over the tank, make sure everything's okay. Every single day. Can't do it. Can't neglect it. But you see, sometimes we neglect some of the things of God because it's not quite screaming for the attention. Or we just fell into a thing, uh, I don't care. Here's the third one, fear. Partial obedience is caused by fear. I can't. I can't do that. That's not something I can do. I can't. Fear will come on in. Here's the fourth one. Distrust. Distrust. I'm not so sure that this is the the right thing to do. I'm not so sure. I mean, is it really good to wipe out all the kids? I mean, what did they ever do? I'm not so sure. What's this thing about all the sheep? I mean, there's some good sheep in here and we could use some. I'm not so sure. Ignorance, neglect, fear, distrust, these things will come up and get you into a place of partial obedience. Put in your outline this. Trust is not a lack of fear and uncertainty, but the presence of obedience and steadfastness. That's what trust is. Sometimes we, the, the enemy mixes us up and he thinks because we are in fear, I am not trusting. Have you ever gone over a bridge that produced fear in you? You ever been over a bridge that produced fear? I don't know about you, but I, I love looking at things on the uh, internet like the 10 most dangerous roads in the world. How many have ever looked at that? 10 most dangerous roads in the world. I love looking at it, but I always say, I am not going there. I do not need that kind of thrill and excitement in my life. I am not driving on that road. I mean, some of those roads, folks, these are not roads. These are not roads. I looked at one of them, and part of the road, I mean, it's it's got enough road for one, one and a half cars to pass. I, I'm not sure what they quite do when the second one comes the other way. But they're going, and they're coming up on a waterfall. Anybody ever see that road? It has a waterfall on the road. On the road is a waterfall. You have to drive through the waterfall. And if you don't stay on the road, guess what's on the other side? No guardrail. And a very high cliff, which you will tumble down. And there is certainly no chance of survival if you fall down that particular thing. That's, uh, that, that's, that's not good. This is not a good thing. See, I don't need to move out into those areas. I looked at some people who do rock climbing and I've seen people do some rock climbing on some things that I think, no. I just, I'm not going, I'm not doing that. I mean, you, you are climbing up a rock at a, not a straight up, but it actually curves back this way and you can see the ground below and it is so small that trees cannot be distinguished. That's how high up you are. And these people are climbing rocks because they have faith and trust in the things that are locking them in and in their ability to climb up that thing. 
I always think, I have no desire to be up there. Picture is fine with me. I am good at looking at the picture. This is good. When you get up there, take the picture. I will look at the picture. I will enjoy the picture. I did not have to get the picture. But there are people that, that do these kind of things. And we look at that and we say, oh, where's the, where's the fear? Where's the uncertainty? Where's, where is that? Well, I bet you they probably have a little bit of fear and some uncertainty in there too. But it doesn't stop them. Don't let fear and uncertainty stop you. And don't think that you have to be completely void of it all in order to be in a place of faith. You don't have to. If you go out there and you step out and do what God has said to do, and if fear comes up, it doesn't mean you're not in faith. You're out there doing it. That's, a, that's where you need to be. You need to be out there doing it. So anyway, trust is not a lack of fear or uncertainty, but the presence of obedience and steadfastness. If God says, go out there and do this, you go out there and you do it. It is built through little things. So we are ready for the big things. God is going to give you opportunity to do and obey in the little things because he knows when you obey in these little things, you are getting prepared to obey in the big things. When you learn how to overcome the fear and the uncertainty in the little things, you'll learn how to overcome the fear and the uncertainty in the big things. And we were out there in Hawaii. One of the big things they do out there in Hawaii is they surf those big waves. We did not see any of those, none of those big waves. We saw some rough surf, but we did not see any waves of 15, 20, 30 feet or more. We did not see them. I would have liked to have seen them. But we did not see them. And you look at these pictures of surfers that are on these monstrous waves. Riding these, I just saw a, a, a picture of one. They said this guy set a record over in Portugal. 78 foot wave. And he rode a 78-foot wave in Portugal. Now, you don't start off riding 78-foot waves. You start off riding 5- and 10-foot waves. You get the 5- and 10-foot wave down. Then you move up to 15-foot waves. And then maybe you move up to 20-foot waves, unless you are satisfied at 15 feet and no more. Because you get up to those waves that are high enough, and if you lose it on those, that wave is going to send you tumbling a good bit, banging you around in the bottom, which not always is sand. And if it's Carl, that will cut you up pretty good. Could very likely kill you. You can't make mistakes on these things. So you got to learn how to do it on the small things so that you can surf the bigger waves. So you look at those guys that are on the 40 and 50 foot waves. They spend a lot of time on the 10 and 15 footers. And then the 20 footers then the 30-footers, before they got ready for those big ones. If you want to do big things for God, you got to start off with the little things and learn how to be obedient and steadfast in the little things. Otherwise, you're going to be exposed like Saul was here when he took on something big. He wasn't there. Now, God needed him to be there because remember the original commission? I've made you king. You are the king. I've made you king. This is what you're made king for. Now go out there and do it. I need you to wipe out all these people. Verse 11. I greatly regret. This is the word that came to Samuel from the Lord. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. 
So Samuel wasn't happy about this. He still had a, a fondness for Saul. and wanted to see him succeed. But the Lord said of him, he turned back from following me. Why? He went out there. He gathered the soldiers. They went in. They wiped out all the women, all the children, all the, all the men. All they did was they saved the king and some of the, the sheep, oxen, fatlings, stuff like that. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to meet, or went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a mountain, I'm sorry, he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passing by, and gone down to Gilgal. So Saul decided, I need a monument. Yeah, people need to remember me, because I brought about this great victory. Then Samuel went to Saul. Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. The rest we have... They have spared... We have utterly destroyed. You see that? Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. Hmm. Got an explanation point after it. I'm not sure if that was in the original translation, but I certainly see it would probably fit. <laughs> Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, and best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. Then Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So who started the rejection process? Saul did. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now we don't know if that's true or not true. But that's what he said. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord 
has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless. Aha. Now we see some of the reasons for what they had done. As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gebeah of, of Saul. Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, I want you to see something interesting about this passage. He delivered the word of the Lord to him. And he turned to go away. How many of you would say that would be the end of it? That he has delivered what he was supposed to to say. He turned to go away. But then Saul reached out and grabbed his robe. And in doing so, it tore. And then Samuel went on and told him something else. The Lord has torn the kingdom from you. Now here's what I wonder about this. Was that ever supposed to be said to Saul? I don't know. It caused problems for David after this. Because Saul kept looking for who is this one. And he finally determined it was David. And he pursued David. Was Saul never supposed to know this? Because he turned to go as if he said all he was supposed to say. Did Saul get him angry? Because we look at this and say, oh, what a, what a perfect uh, way to, what a perfect segue. You tear my robe, the kingdom has been torn from you. And we just see God all over it. I don't know. And maybe he was allowed to say it but didn't have to say it. I have a lot of respect for Samuel, and I sort of think that he just wouldn't be moved to say something he wasn't allowed to say. But it is interesting that he was turning to go away. This thing was over. And he comes back and he says this, and this is the part that gives Saul such distress. And this is the part that causes David such problems. So I don't know. I have to wait till we get to heaven to find that one out. So, Saul was more concerned with how things looked and he wanted Samuel to come back with him. That was his main, main area of concern here. So, how does God view what Saul has done? He went into war. He went into battle. He wiped out all the people he was supposed to wipe out except for one. Except for one. Can you imagine that? Let's just pick a number. And I don't know what the number would be that's there, but you got two to four, you had two to four million Israelites when they went into the promised land. How many more you got now? 
And if they came after him with uh, the, the numbers that were given to us at their army, you're probably looking at a, a number of people. I would say if we had a half million people there, we probably at least had that. Maybe even more. Can you imagine being commissioned to wipe out? Let's just take the low number, 500,000 people that you wiped out, 500,000 men, women, and children and left one alive. And God is upset. One. All the rest of them were wiped out. Then, of course, there's the sheep and the oxen and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, he came pretty close to obeying a whole lot more so than the other one he did. But just not quite there. So God's not happy, is he? So what Saul operated in was not wisdom. It was foolishness. I put this in your outline for you. Saul became good at doing things his way. Now here's a question for you. What things have you become good at that you really shouldn't be? (laughs) What kind of things have you become skilled at that you can do well? Don't raise your hand on any of these. But just think about it. How many have become really good complainers? I mean, you can complain with the best of them. You can be given something that is so good and find reasons to complain. How many of you are really good at judging other people? That you can look at whatever anyone else does and find fault with the thing. Well, they shouldn't have done it that way. Well, if it was me, I wouldn't have done that. You're filled with pride and you're good at something that you should not be good at. Maybe some people have become really good at lying. Hmm. That's a skill, right? Think back to the times when we used to sit, sit back and watch Monk. I remember watching Monk. I remember one time she, the, the, the lady, uh, I forget which one it was, I think it was the second one who came in, and um, Natalie, I think it was her, and she needed Monk to lie and pretend to be a person who knew, who knew fish. And she needed him to have written a book on it. And he was telling her, I'm not a good liar. And her response was, yes, you are. You're a man. All men are good liars. Because <laughs> that was her experience with, with men. And so he uh, came on in and he was trying to, to lie. And he was terrible at it, like, like he said. And it, it wasn't very believable. And on the way out, she said to him, you really are a lousy liar. You really are no good at it at all. He said, I told you. No, not good at it. How many things have we become good at that we're not supposed to be good at? We shouldn't be good. These things shouldn't be second nature to us. We shouldn't be good at these things. The reason that we're good at them is because we haven't followed the Word of God. We haven't decided that what God said should be done. Hmm. Don't be, don't be doing it. How about gossip? Anybody real good at spreading gossip? Don't raise your hand. We don't want to know. But we shouldn't be. How many know people at work that are real good at spreading gossip? Yeah, we we shouldn't be. I had a friend in high school. He and I used to do a whole lot of things together. 
And I remember being over at his house. His, he had a father that I really didn't want to be around a whole lot. Did not like, in fact, the both of the friends I had, the closest friends I had, I didn't really like either of their fathers. They just were not real fun to be around. But this particular one, he just was, he was harsh. He was a harsh father, and I didn't really see too much good in the, in the guy at all. But we were out back, one of the few times that I was out back with him and his dad, and we were working on buildings. I don't remember what we were building. We were working on building something. And my friend banged his thumb with a hammer. I mean, really hit it hard. He dropped the hammer, and he is just in pain at this whole thing. And this is one of those things I just remember from being back in there. And, and his dad said this to him. He said, well, boy, don't just stand there. Cuss. What? <laughs> and so he did. He let out a number of uh, uh, of words. And I, that's not something you should be good at. That's not something that you should be good at. We we need to stay away from these kind of <laughs> these kind of things. Don't be good at what God said to stay away from. We don't need to be be going after it. If God said to stay out of a thing, stay out of it. Don't become good at it. Don't become good at doing it. Don't become callous to the fact that you're doing it. Put this in your outline for you. These are not weaknesses. They are not problems. They are sin. Stay out of those things. So how do you break its hold? Practice obeying God on the other things, on the easier things, with the focus, with the attention, I'm going to obey God in all things. i got to start practicing on what I'm doing now. When God gives you an assignment, it's important that you obey God. It's important that you do it. Brother Hagin should share us with those things when God would say, give what you got in your pocket to that person over there. But that's all I got in my pocket. There's no credit cards back then. How's he going to get to his next meeting? Give all that you got to that person over here. So he did. And he made it to the next meeting, but he didn't make it by much. At least he didn't think so. And you can't just pull up to the gas station and say, fill her up and give him a credit card. You got to have cash. He didn't have any more cash. He gave it all away. But you see, it was those times when God said to do that, it was training him. It was getting him ready for doing these other things. When God said, go wash in the river Jordan. Don't go pick in a cleaner river. When God says it. You see, what is, what is foolishness or what is wise in prayer is simply, if you are doing what God said to do in prayer then your prayers will be wise. If you are doing what you think ought to be done, or what you're comfortable with, or what you like, or what you want, then you are not being wise. If you're not being wise, what are you? Foolish. You're either one or the other. You're either wise, or you're foolish. Because you've got to obey and do what God says in order to be wise. Anything less than that, you become foolish. So I put this in your outline for you. A wise prayer is filled with what God said. Know what God said before you start to pray. If you're going to have faith in your prayers, know what God said about the thing that you're praying for. Know what He said. And go out there and do it. Here's the other thing I put in your outline. A foolish one or a foolish prayer is filled with what I think. <laughs> 
Well, I think that God really wants to do this. Really? What are you basing that on? Well, I think, and we spell out whatever it is, and we put that into our prayers. I'm sure no one here in this room has ever done it. But have you heard other Christians who have said, well, God, I know that you haven't done this for anyone in the Word, but would you do this for me? That's foolish. Don't, don't be doing that. If God has told you down in your spirit to start changing to what you eat and you don't do it, what are you operating in? Foolishness. You are in foolishness. If God, now, I'm not saying other people. I'm saying if God has said it. Now, sometimes God will speak to other people just like He did Samuel. And you gotta, you gotta be careful. You gotta listen. Sometimes you gotta, other people can speak the wisdom of God. God sometimes will speak the wisdom of God through other people just as He did here with Samuel. But you gotta be careful about this. Because not everything that a believer says is the wisdom of God. So you've got to check down in your spirit. Remember last week we were going over this. That if someone speaks something to you that they got from God for you, but it doesn't bear witness with you, don't do it. Now you've got to be careful. If you're refusing to hear from God, that's on you. But I'll tell you, you can tell, as I mentioned this to you last week, just want to mention it to you again. If someone came to me and prophesied over me and it didn't bear witness with my spirit and that person got offended because I didn't obey it, that, that divulges to me the spirit that they are of. And it'll divulge it to me. I know right away, you're the wrong spirit. And the reason that you want me to obey blindly what you feel, what you think, what you have said it's because you're trying to coerce me into doing it. God doesn't coerce. God states it. It's up to you to obey it. That's a real easy way to tell the Spirit of God from the other spirits that are out there. God does not coerce you into obeying it. God states it. Here you go. Go ahead and do it. What did Samuel do with Saul? Here's the command. Wipe out men, women, children, oxen, sheep, Wipe them all out. There it is. Give it to him. Even said it four times. Wipe them all out. Wipe out everything. And then he's gone. So who has to decide to do it? Saul. When Adam and Eve are in the garden. And God himself speaks to them. Now you may eat of any tree in the tree of the, in the, any tree of the garden. Except this one here in the center. Don't eat of this tree. And when the, when the enemy came along and tried to persuade him to do something else, does God show up and says, hold on, hold on, don't you do it? See, he already said it. He had already told it to him. When Peter denied Christ three times, didn't he tell him before the, the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times? Didn't he say that? And when he did it the one time, wasn't Jesus Christ near? And he did it a second time. Wasn't he still near? 
And the third time, he did it. In fact, one gospel says after he did it the third time, he looked over, saw Jesus, and Jesus looked right at him. But does he coerce him to obey? Not a single time. Anyone, any, I don't care who it is. I've told you, I told you last week, if I try and do this, throw me out. Because I'm no longer operating by the right spirit. If anyone tries to coerce you to do what they got from God for you, they're telling you right there they're of the wrong spirit. I'm not telling them that you're, that they're heathens and going to hell. I don't know by that. <laughs> That's management. I'm in sales. I forget who originally said that, but I love that one. I think it was Jesse. It sounds like Jesse. That's management decision. I don't try and I do that. But I do know that that word is there. Now think of it this way. I'll give you one more example in this. Jesus, after the revelation that the disciples had, you are the Christ, began to teach them differently. And Peter pulls him aside. You ought not to do this. And tries to pressure him to quit teaching. Well, how does Jesus respond? Get thee behind me, Satan. He didn't say that Peter was on his way to hell. He didn't say anything about that. He just simply said, I'm not receiving that. Mm-mm. Don't do it. So don't let people do this. But stay sensitive to the Spirit of God. Because otherwise you're going to get like Saul. You need to get to a place where you will 100% obey what God says to do. Because in that is wisdom. And in your prayers, don't ever waste time going to prayer and saying, well, Father, I don't know what your word says about this, but this is what I need. That's a waste of time. Find out what his word said about it. Then pray what he said in his word. That's wisdom. Anything less than the wisdom of God, folks, in prayer is foolishness. Anything less than what God said is foolishness in prayer or any other place. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be praying this. Don't get your emotions all involved. You know, sometimes we've got a job and our emotions got all stirred up because somebody said nasty stuff to us. Oh, God, I want to quit. Oh, I don't see the blessings of God here in this job at all. Oh, I want to quit. I want to get out. I want you to give me another job. Hey, I've been there with that one. I tell you some of the, the things that God told me about, you know, take that job. That's your job. That didn't mean that job was easy. I mean, that job, I was discouraged at that job. I was like, dear Lord, I not only want to get out of this job, I want to get out of this city. I want to get away from this place. This is terrible. But I didn't. See, you don't pray the emotion... You pray what the Word of God says. And I would go back to God and say, God, you told me to take this job. It was done in my spirit. Take this job. I took this because you told me. Now, he didn't always tell me that. There's one job I, uh, one job I took. Loved that job. Still think back fondly on that job. And I simply said, God, I need a job that's going to do this, this, and I laid it out. It needs to be days. It needs to be more money. And it needs to be, and I laid out all the things that I needed this thing to be. And lo and behold, I came upon a job that was days, that was more money, and did all the other things on the list. And I thought to myself, I wonder if this is God. I'm sure. See, God didn't tell me ahead of time, that's the job you're going to take. Didn't have that. 
never got that. This is the job you're going to take. I just felt at ease that this is, this is the good direction to go. And it meets everything that I asked for. Everything. So I took the job. That job was the worst job I had had up to that point for like two or three months. The worst job I had ever had. I would come out of there and say, Dad, is, that is, oh, I hated being there today. I didn't, I didn't like being there. I don't like this whole thing. This is terrible. Every single day I came out of there like that. Why did I take this job? But then eventually it turned. And it became one of the best jobs I had had up to that point. Job I enjoyed going to work every day. Worked hard, worked long, but I loved it. Got me doing things that I, I enjoy doing. Just because you listen to what God says to do does not mean you've got an easy time ahead of you. But stay in the wisdom of God. When you pray and you ask God for things, what does His Word say to pray for? And do it. See, sometimes we're out there and we're praying, well, God, my stomach's been giving me trouble. I got all this indigestion. I got a, I'm picking something I don't think anybody's ever told me about in recent times because I don't want you to think I'm picking on you. I haven't heard anybody talk about this. If you did, I don't remember it. That's why I'm bringing this one up, okay? Oh, my stomach is, every time I eat something, it just feels like it's, it's all, um, I get diarrhea and I get upset stomach and I can't keep anything down and oh, this is no good. Oh, this is just, oh, I don't know what to do. And there's a couple of ways that happen. Up in your spirit, your, your spirit says, stop eating blank. Stop eating blank. Oh, man, I love those. And it may not just be an individual thing. God has never said this to me. Thank God he has never said He may have said it to you. I don't know. But he said, stop eating wheat. Anybody ever got that? Stop eating wheat. I don't know. You got some kind of allergic reaction to the thing. And thank God he's never said that to me because one of my favorite things to eat, absolute favorite things. I know it shows. Bread. I, lo- I love Bread. Bread is like its own food group. Bread must be consumed every day, preferably every meal. Bread, I like dark breads. I like light breads. I don't like white bread. But I like rye bread. Pumpernickel. Oh, I just love bread. Taking the bread and dipping it in the oil with the seasonings. Oh, oh man. I can break some of my eating rules with bread. Because I'll take the bread when we're down over at Lombardi's and they bring over the bowl of the pasta and I take the bread and I dip it. Believe it or not, I really do this. I dip the bread in the pasta sauce and I eat it. I break my, some of my own rules. But, oh, it's good. I love bread. But if God ever came to me and said, the reason you're having that problem is because you're eating bread. Stop eating bread. All right, well, I'll tell you what. I'll give up everything but. (laughs) How about just once a day on the bread? Just one time a day. (laughs) I'm not obeying, am I? And then if I go to God and say, oh, God, oh, my stomach is just so upset. Oh, God, I need some relief from this. Oh, God, what's God going to say? Why are you bothering me with this thing? 
I already told you what to do. Stop eating bread. Now, sometimes that'll come up in your spirit. Sometimes I have sought God after a thing, and all of a sudden, I, I came upon an article, I came upon a report, and it died. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm experiencing yeah, that, that, and, and this is the cause? Oh, wow. Now, see, if I'm in pride, get me behind me, Satan. I'm not receiving that. But if I'm open to instruction, I say, well, Father God, maybe this is some wisdom I need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do this. And I'm going to leave this stuff out. You see, when you get instruction and you refuse it, how can you go back to God and ask Him for it? Can't do it. All right, you can raise your hand on this one. How many of you have received instructions from God and have not yet put it into operation? How many need to repent from lying? <laughs> I have my hand up. Nobody else is up there. I'm the only non-liar in the whole... I've got, got a half, half a hand over here. <laughs> Folks, we've, we've been in places like that. What you've got to realize is the reason I'm having this is because I haven't obeyed. If I walk in the wisdom, then I can... It, it changes things. Don't sit there and pray for something that God's given you wisdom on how to get out of it. It's wasting your time praying about the thing. I'm wasting God's time too. Because God told you. Why are you praying about this? I already told you. Yeah, but I didn't like that answer. I wanted a different one. I don't have a different one. That's the answer. That's the wisdom of God. Anything else is going to be less than the wisdom of God. God doesn't walk in anything less than the wisdom of God. He's not going to give you anything more than that either. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you that you speak to us wisdom. That everything that comes from your mouth is wisdom. We've received that wisdom. We operate in our life. And we come to you, God. You, God, in prayer, we're going to come to you with the Word of God. What does the Word of God say on this matter? Because if we come with what we understand, what we think, what we feel, we are coming to you with foolishness. And we don't need to be doing that. We want to come to you with what the Word of God has to say. I thank you that you can help each one of us here in our prayers, that our prayers become more effective, that our prayers, our prayers we can have faith in, our prayers are prayers that will change things. Thank you for it and give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Well, for all you folks who didn't raise your hand, but felt like y'all too. If there's something you have not become obedient on yet, become obedient. It will only benefit you. Got some praise reports and some prayer requests here today. Phyllis said, I felt led to leave the house earlier this morning and I was able to take the detour around an accident that didn't make me uh, late for church. I was still... I am not sure what that is. I was doing pretty good there. I was still early. 
and able to lead some other cars there through the detour that didn't know which way to go. I'm so glad we are taught to listen and obey in the little things as we will also listen and obey in the big things. Glory to God. Well, that's one of those things we wanted you all to put some praise reports in. What, has, what did God speak to you this week? Susan, my friend's daughter had surgery to remove a growth. Praise God. It was benign. She said to thank everyone for their prayers. And a, I was looking for this one. Yeah. Uh, praise. <laughs> praise is out of the hospital. M- much better. Still believing for full eyesight recovery. Still blurry? Still blurry? Okay. Uh, but not gone. When I got up there, I was, I was surprised. She couldn't see it. Hmm. But uh, back to being on the blurry side. Still believing for full eyesight recovery. Thanks to church for all the prayers and for the visits. And Brother Victor, within two weeks, I got two job offers teaching assistant in my department at Drexel University and research assistant at Philadelphia uh, Fight Philadelphia Fight Health Center. I thought I was reading it wrong. Wow, never heard that one before. Okay. Uh, Brother Victor has a prayer request. I will be writing the second part of my board exams tomorrow. I have received the promise of God in Isaiah 40 and verse 10. <laughs> all right, that's tomorrow. That's all day, right? Start at 8 o'clock in the morning. Go until 5 o'clock at night. Whew. That is a long test. You folks who have to do those, I, I feel for you every time. Alexis just got done doing one of those all-day ones. Oof, boy. Um, Abby Pell, uh, six finals this week. She's feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, all right, some of you got to meet her when she was out there. How many weeks ago was that? Yeah, four or five, something like that. Um, uh, Jackie, Abby's dance teacher, uh, helped... Abby realized she needs Jesus in her life. Jackie needs prayer for surgery on May 11th. Uh, hysterectomy. A little more serious than that. Wow. But she's uh, obviously a believer, but believing God for her healing in this in surgery as well? All right. Good. We'll be praying for her name is Jackie and then uh, Candy having nosebleeds took my blood pressure this morning found out it is up also Bobby had a fall Thursday, Thursday night and a lot of pain he fell in the bathroom yeah that's never there's no soft place to land in there well wow. all right let's all stand up as we pray for these together glory to God Father we just pray right now for Jackie's Jackie uh, Abby's dance teacher and Father, that you just minister to her by the, the people that are around her, the healing desire, healing nature of God. I just thank you for that. I thank you for good things ahead for her in her life. Glory be to God. For this surgery that's going on, we thank you for the doctors being guided and directed in everything that they do. And for a successful surgery and even greater more rapid healing in Jesus' name in that body.
We pray with two for Candy. Those that are around her, just stretch out your hand to, to her. With the nosebleeds and the blood pressure. And I just thank you, Father, that you are working on both. That down in her spirit, Father, you just speak to her what things will help this situation and turn it around. And I thank you, Father, that she'll hear and she's of the mindset to obey. We pray for Bobby, too. She's in recovery over these things with the surgery. Then in the name of Jesus, his body is getting stronger. And I thank you that whatever was damaged or hurt in this fall, Father, you just right now are healing those things in his body. And we thank you for it. We pray for Abby. She has turned her life over to you. Glory to God for that. We thank you, Father, that you want to show yourself strong on her behalf. And as she is overwhelmed with all the finals that she has, I just thank you for the peace of God that comes upon her, that you teach her about casting all her care upon you. We thank you for it. Pray, too, for Brother Victor. I thank you, Father, that all the things he has studied, all the things that he has put into his head, all the things he has worked on, that you bring all that to mind. As he has diligently applied himself to all these things, those things will be there for him to remember tomorrow during this test. Thank you for the peace of God that goes with him and the joy of the Lord that is his strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you all.